0: My name is Carolyn Terosis. I'm the Director of Economic and Business Development for the LA County Workforce Development Department. I think that this is actually a critical time for this conference. We have a state governor's administration looking at how we better deliver workforce services, but also looking at how we can be more innovative and proactively train individuals for the jobs of now and the future, making sure that as we see jobs that are subject to automation, that we are retraining people for high road career opportunities where there's growth and opportunities to upskill and upwind. I think that this conference here is really important because we have, you know, the fifth largest economy in the country in L.A. County. We are rapidly growing and we need to talk about what sectors that we're targeting together. The reason that I appreciate this conference is because it's really the first time that I've seen industry, business leaders, workforce development boards and agencies, as well as uh, education at the table, all talking collectively about what we're going to do together instead of the siloed approach that traditionally occurs. Occurs. and for that I think that this is extremely productive. The
1: workforce landscape is rapidly changing, and educators and their institutions need to keep up. Preparing students before they enter the workforce to make our communities and businesses stronger is at the core of getting an education. But we need to understand how to change and adjust so that we can begin to project where things are headed before we even get there. So how do we begin to predict the future? Hi, I'm Salvatrice Kumo,
2: Executive Director of Economic and Workforce Development at Pasadena City College and host of this podcast. And I'm Christina Barsi, producer and co-host of this podcast. And we are starting the conversation about the future of work. We'll explore topics like how education can partner with industry, how to be more equitable, and how to attain one of our highest goals, more internships and PCC students in the workforce. We at Pasadena City College want to lead the charge in closing the gap between what our students are learning and what the demands of the workforce will be once they enter. This is a conversation that impacts all of us. You, the employers, the
1: policymakers, the educational institutions, and the community as a whole. We believe change happens when we work together, and it all starts with having a conversation. I'm Christina Barcy. And I'm Salvatrice Kumo. And this is The Future of Work. Hi, this is Christina Barcy, the producer of this podcast. And in this episode, which happens to be our first episode, you'll hear from voices like Chris Holden, our representative in California assembly, Senator Anthony Portantino, and a few other voices who either spoke or attended at our very first future of work conference held last year in November of 2019, right here at Pasadena city college. Finding ways to connect and work together as a whole community really does start with having the conversation. And we're so excited to begin to lead you on this journey, starting right now.
3: My name is Brandon Wade. I am a student at PCC. There's always a disconnect between what you get out of school and what they're required of of you in the workforce, no matter what your workforce is. Usually when you go in there, the point of going to school is... I want to go to school so that I can go into the workforce, so that I can contribute to the workforce, but oftentimes when we leave school, we find ourselves in this position of the workforce is like, you said you were going to give us this, but you're not giving us this. It is important to me because I have major in TV and radio, and there is a major disconnect between what's expected of you and what is often taught.
2: I think it's important because we need to continue to collaborate and build these partnerships. Oftentimes at community colleges, we're trying to anticipate and and guess what the workforce really needs, but this gives us the opportunity to directly hear those needs and how we can address them and work together.
0: I mean, I think we should be having this meeting on a quarterly basis. I think that this is really going to move the needle, and I think in two to three years you're going to see that employers are at the table at the outset of designing curriculum, at the table at the outset of credential programs and making sure that we are forward-thinking and training people for jobs that exist now and in the future rather than jobs that are already obsolete. I think you're really going to see a shift in the partnership with industry, and I hope that we have these conferences on an annual or quarterly basis.
2: Now at this time, I would like to bring up to the podium a very special guest a champion to the San Gabriel Valley area, our representative in California Assembly, please help me welcome Assemblymember Chris Holden.
4: It's a pleasure to be here with you and to join with all of those who have put in such a great effort to make this event not only happen today, but timely. Pleased to be here and welcome you to this most important discussion on the future of work. Thinking about the future of work does require that we think about the future of our young people and how they will make their way in this world and how we can support them on their journey. It is imperative that we partner with industry and to understand the direction that business is moving, be it toward how work is done, as with increasing use of automation and its impact on the workforce, as well as with materials we use. For example, new jobs created in the building industry installing solar panels. New job development will increase as we integrate into our work framework the notions of sustainability and protecting the environment. Can our work be without the traditional office, the work from home, more environmentally sound, but is it something lost without being able to work side by side with one another? So, it is not just the type of work we will do in the future, but how we will work. There is also the matter of social justice and quality of life for all workers. Do we just accept that there will always be some workers who will get stuck in low-wage jobs? Or do we adopt a culture to lifelong learning and foster continuing education and training so workers can continually move onward and upward? And can we collaborate as industry, academia, and government, to provide the necessary leadership and resources to meet the needs of the workforce. The challenges are before us. U.S. Department of Labor, Employment Outlook, Statistics inform us employment growth in STEM occupations at 10.9% is among the fastest-growing areas. This growth rate is expected to result in 1 million new jobs between 2016 and 2026. Career examples are information security analysts, with 32% growth projected over the next 10 years between 2018 and 2028. The median pay is projected at 90, over $98,000 annually. We should be preparing our students for employment and other fast-growing occupations with high wages. These include the life, physical, and social science occupations. For example, physician assistants, nurse practitioners, occupations which have growth rates of 31% and 28% respectively. The minimum wage projection for these occupations is upwards of $107,000. I may have to change my profession. (laughs) Addressing head-on the opportunity to meet the needs of high school students, I was pleased to introduce Assembly Bill 288 in 2015, which created the College and Career Access Pathways Act, known as Dual Enrollment, This legislation authorized community colleges and school districts to partner to allow high school students to earn college credit. Through this program, it is feasible that a student can graduate high school with sufficient credits as a college sophomore or even a two-year degree. The program was designed to support those students who might not otherwise have college in their sights and or who are underrepresented in higher education. The program is underway in Pasadena's John Muir High School, and quite frankly, throughout the state. This year, I successfully introduced Assembly Bill 30, which extends authorization five years past its initial 2022 sunset date to 2027. I would also say that in the process of getting deeper and evaluating and understanding the importance of dual enrollment, We recognized that in high school there were DACA students who were not able to take uh, college credits under this program. And so we passed a bill that allowed the DACA students to also have access to dual enrollment as well. (laughs) As we move forward to strive for ways to prepare tomorrow's workforce, I look to educators and industry leaders such as yourselves to bring forth your ideas. We are welcoming your ideas. And as I say, dual enrollment was not my idea. It was taking a concept and ideas that had been out there and that you brought forward, and we put them forward through legislation to make them work because that's the role that we can play. Remove the clog like a plumber, and then get out of the way. And so we look forward to your ideas moving forward. I thank you for the opportunity for me to add my thoughts and insights to this program. I congratulate you on understanding and recognizing the importance and timeliness of this gathering and I look forward to being a partner myself with you in the years to come. Thank you.
0: I'm just so encouraged by the fact that every single person said we need to be doing a better job of working together because the will is there. I think now the next step is making sure that we're implementing policy at a state level and that we're awarding funding in a way that incentivizes those partnerships rather than incentivizes competition.
2: At this time, it is my great pleasure to welcome another regional leader to the campus and our advocate in the California Senate, Please give a warm welcome to Senator Anthony Portentino.
3: So, when I go home, my wife doesn't clap when I come in the house. So, I'm Anthony Portentino. I proudly represent PCC, GCC, Citrus. I have students from Mount Sac communities, Rio Hondo, LA Community College. So, I like to think that I am the ground zero for community colleges in the state of California, in my district, right? And so I'm happy to be here. I, uh, you know, it's interesting. I grew up in New Jersey, went to public schools, have a bachelor's degree, and I get to make policy in the state of California. And I consider myself to be one of the strongest public school advocates in the state of California. Now, I'm not a classic educator, I have to tell you, when I was out of office, I taught a couple classes at USC and had a blast. So for all the teachers, I know why you do what you do. It was really, really fun and rewarding to connect with young people in the classroom. But, you know, we have a lot of promise and a lot of excitement going on in the state of California. Obviously, a room full of all of you here spending your day to talk about workforce development, what we can do, how we can collaborate. You know, that's the exciting part. It's taking our words and turning them into action, right? I mean, over the past 20 years, do you know how many times the legislature has reevaluated the master plan for higher education and generated a book and then put it on a shelf? Probably five times in the last 20 years. How many times have you heard a politician say, let's put kids first? Now, how many times have you seen that happen? I just spent three years fighting to get high school start time moved back. And I had the entire, yeah. I had the entire world fighting me on that. And there was three decades of science and research, not just one decade, three decades, that said when you start high school later, test scores go up and death goes down. Let me say that again. When you start high school later, test scores go up and death goes down because suicide and car accidents go down. The number one and number two killer of teens in America. And yet people would say, I agree with the science, but. There ain't no but if you agree with the science and you put kids first, right? So how do we do that moving forward? So I was in Korea last year and I saw an exciting model. So one model is they go to class for a month, and then they work for a month. They go to class for a month, and then they work for a month. So the business community in that region has a direct relationship with those high schools. And when those kids graduate from those high schools, they get a job at the business that they were working in. Another model that they were using in Korea is kids go to class Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then go to work Thursday and Friday. Now, Korea does both, and they have success with both. So here we are in America with an education model that was created when we were manufacturing and a farming economy, and we're still doing the same thing, right? I hate to say it, we're no longer a farming and manufacturing economy in the year 2019. So we gotta do things differently at a time when nobody likes change and everybody talks about what can we do. And so they asked me out in the hallway, what can we do? Well, we got to take the excitement from today and move it to policy and action tomorrow. That's what we got to do. Because if we don't do it, we're going to have a lot of kids who aren't skilled to succeed next year and the decade after. So what do we gotta do to do that? We've done some things right. We've erased the line between high school and community college through concurrent enrollment. That's a great first step. We made community colleges free. That's a good, they used to be. And I can't tell you how many arguments I had with 60 year olds who tell me how successful they were because they got to go to community college free and they got to go to UCLA when it was $800 a semester and they got to go to Cal State LA when it was $250 a semester. And then I say, but will you raise your taxes to help a kid go to college today? And they go, no, why would I do that? Well, how the hell did you get your success? Right? So everybody over 60 who doesn't want to pay it forward and help this next generation, and I don't care where they were born. Do you? I don't care. I want smart kids to get an education. Who doesn't? Don't we get better off collectively if we educate smart kids? We need 17,000 doctors in California. Where are we gonna get those doctors if we don't educate every smart kid who can become a doctor? How many businesses out there are struggling with getting a workforce that has the skills to do the jobs? But that's the reality we have. You know, we gotta help each other get there and we gotta work collaboratively. That's why I was excited to come today because this is what it's all about, is putting our creativity hat on. And again, I'm not talking, when I talk about changing the model, I'm not talking about lowering standards or, you know, making sure that kids don't have to take rigorous education. And, you know, I can't tell you how many millennials don't know how to address an envelope. That one drives me really crazy. (laughs) I can't tell you, I get kids with master's degrees. They come to see me and they address an envelope and they don't even know name title pl- not it's like we got to stop that stupidity and make sure people have certain basic skills and i'm of the mind that everybody's capable of that i'm of the mind that we have to embrace people's potential and highlight it and embrace this expectation you know we're california you know we should be leading the nation Not just saying, God, I wish we were doing better. And obviously, a lot of it has to do with economics, but not all of it has to do with economics. A lot of it has to do with the size of our state. You know, we're the largest state, um, but not all of it has to do with that. A lot of it has to do with first generation learners, you know, but that's a big issue, and we have to recognize it and embrace those young people. But collectively, if we recognize all of those challenges, then I think we can make a difference. You know, what are we going to do? So I did a bill to do a three decades workforce needs analysis so we could see where the jobs were going to be three decades from now and then work backwards and tailor curriculum. And Schwarzenegger vetoed the bill. But in the meantime, I've been trying to get people to focus. You know, let's see, what are we going to need? You know, is code writing going to be replaced by AI? I don't think so, but that's a conversation we need to have. By the way, we all know that for every code writer, there's three jobs out there, right? We know that 98% of code writers are men. So if I was a 17 or a 15 year old young girl, I'd become a code writer because there'd be 18 jobs waiting for me when I graduated. Of course, my daughter plays video games, she doesn't write the code. But that's a whole nother struggle. So I'm fascinated by what we can do with the model. You know, how we can plug Businesses and, and workforce and training and entrepreneurship and internships, how we can formalize those and what legislative barriers need to be broken down. The other thing I'm going to look at legislatively this year is the teacher shortage in STEM fields. You know, I had a bill two years ago that said if you were the Caltech or, or PCC calculus professor and Pasadena High School needed a calculus teacher the governor could declare emergency and you could. if you've been teaching, you should be able to teach. And if PHS needs a calculus teacher and you teach calculus, you should be able to go teach calculus. Boy, did I get beat up for that. I never heard that word pedagogy before. People came every day, it's pedagogy. I said, no, students. They go pedagogy, I'd say, do you have a calculus teacher? No. So how is pedagogy gonna get you a calculus teacher? So we're going to be looking at looking at emergency credentialing and actually beefing up the ability to bring your expertise into the classroom. Because if we bring expertise into the classroom, we'll inspire young people. I can go on for an hour and a half pontificating. But anybody have any questions? And how do we incentivize internships? I can tell you a couple things that we've done in the capital. Is we've we've created fellowships in the state capital for interns. We've created a pipeline for MBA students with historically black colleges and Hispanic-serving institutions at the UC uh, business schools, and that's in its eighth year. But big picture, we haven't really done anything to incentivize internships. I can tell you, my oldest daughter got her job based on her internship. I mean, she got an internship on her own, and they liked her, and they hired her. And so the more formal relationships we can make with kids in the classroom again i go back to that korean model i mean i think it's 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 a good idea i want to congratulate the college for opening up our center which did not happen by the administration it happened by my colleagues on a ground roots level that is why that center is opening up for our gay and lesbian students and our undocumented students right awesome. so i want to know what your commitment would be to those populations first off and i did talk to ricardo a about this because he's my buddy and we talk all the time i said my undocumented students are getting covered i love them and I work with them. But Ricardo, we need to really focus on our gay and lesbian students and LGBTQ+. Thank you. Well, a couple of things. This year, the governor did put in, I think it was $20 million, specifically for rapid student housing. That was a program that the John Burton Center brought to my attention. And I believe PCC is going to be participating in that. They are. Um, So it was an actual plan because that study that came out that, you know, 20% of LACCD students were homeless. So in response to that, we actually put money in the budget to create that. I'm not adverse, again, to creating a fund for colleges to build more housing for students and faculty and the employees that work here. You know, so I think those are the kinds of creative things we got to do. But you're right. You know, going to college, if you're not, if you're doing it out of your car, it's a lot more challenging than if you're sitting at the kitchen table. I, in my life, I was going to say I've had the benefit of seeing sort of both sides or all sides of the equation. You now, my my father went to World War II, came back, and because of the GI Bill, was the first you know my Italian immigrant family, the first person to get a college education, and you know because of that, you know we had a middle class life. And then when I was 11, he died, and we lost the house and moved into a one bedroom apartment when I was in high school, and my mom gave me the bedroom and she slept on the couch. So I've seen both sides of the equation and understand, you know, to the best of I can and work hard. By the way, my older brother owned the largest gay magazine in California history. The Gay and Lesbian Times was my brother's paper. And he is revered in San Diego because 40 years ago he was the first person to say we're not two communities, we're one And so he bought a little paper called the Gay Times and changed its name to the Gay and Lesbian Times. And so the GLT was the first major LGBT medium to market to the community because he said we have one common civil rights struggle. And so John Duran used to say that I'm the most gay-friendly straight politician in California. I got to tell you, when I was mayor of La Cunada and I was in the gay pride parade, you know, there were probably about 14 of my constituents were in the audience, but they appreciated the fact that the mayor of La Cunada was in the gay pride parade. So, and my last question, and then they give me the hook. Yes, ma'am.
5: Good afternoon. Thank you for being here. My name's Karen Childers. I'm L.A. Director for the Los Angeles Orange County Regional Consortium, representing the 19 community colleges in our area. My question has to do with strong workforce. First of all, thank you for the influx of funding and ongoing funding into career technical education programs across the state. It's very important to the success of our students. My question is about the calculation formula. It was changed from 1819 to 1920. And the net effect to our colleges, our students in Los Angeles, was $14 million less being funneled into community colleges in Los Angeles County. And the problem with that is that, it sh- first of all, it's less available for our students. And secondly, it shifted from the diverse communities that we have here to communities with less diversity. And so the, the question is really, what can we do? Or what can be done? I can tell you one word that can be changed in the legislation that will change that for us. But how can we account for population and especially diversity as we go forward with that model?
3: So a couple of things. When the model, when Governor Brown created the model, there were a couple of things that we tried to do differently than LCFF. You all know the local control funding formula for K-12 was locked in and there was no way to tweak it or change it built into the community college funding model was a mechanism to make improvements as it went through the system. I'm not intimately familiar with whether those attempts to change it have been made or, and faced opposition, but I remember in the legislation there was a mechanism in place to make adjustments to the funding formula. Uh, and then thirdly, there was a piece of funding that was tied to success tied to a percentage of how well we do to get more dollars and I have to be honest I haven't looked to see how that has impacted the colleges but the idea was we should reward schools that are doing well and getting people through the system with the tools they need to get through so I'll look at you follow up I don't have the answer right now but I remember when it was created that mechanism was put in there so it can be tweaked as it went on going. So I'm Anthony Portantino. I live down the street. I love PCC. I have two daughters, and on any given day, there's the president. I like one of them. And I have a San Dimas office with Marco and Christy. So if you're in that part of the district, and of the 120 legislators, I'm the only one with my home telephone number on the state's website. So if you absolutely need me, give me a call at home. And have a great rest of your day. And I love Berlinda Brown, too. (laughs) Take care, everybody.
1: So Salvatrice Kumo, the organizer of this event and the voice you heard introducing the speakers in this episode, caught Senator Portentino after his presentation to go just a little deeper into the points discussed. So here's a slightly more casual conversation between Salvatrice and the senator.
2: Thank you for joining us, Senator Portentino. It's really, really important about this discussion around how does industry, policy, and academia come together to solve this very complex problem. What are you hearing around town about what's the best way to solve these kinds of problems when we talk about the development of future of work, where we're going with policy to help support that projection?
3: Well, I think uh, what we're hearing is that there's a lot of discussion at the moment. I think everybody recognizes Mm -hmm. that the 21st century economy and moving forward is a lot different than the 20th century economy. (laughs) but we haven't necessarily changed the pipeline. We haven't changed education. We haven't changed the preparedness. At the same time, you know, we have a large, in California in particular, large immigrant population where many students are the first in their family to have an opportunity to go to college and beyond college. And, again, there's a lot of focus on that. And I think conferences like the one you're having today helps us sort of crystallize The challenges, I mean, what I see as the challenges is the world's gotten more complex. You need to have more skills and more training, and we're not providing that, in my opinion, to an acceptable level. You know, I was just in Korea recently, and they have some unique education models where uh, students work for one month in the classroom and then one month in the business or they do two days at the business and three days in the classroom. Now they're actually changing their high school model with their calling new-collar you know, office tech jobs, making sure that they have a workforce that's tech-savvy. You know, we don't have that. I spent five years trying to erase the line between high school and community college to create that pipeline, but I don't think we do enough. And you know, looking at what other countries are doing, they're being a little bit more creative in their education model. Now, you know, change is hard, and that's where we, you know, just this past year I did the late start bill, again, based on science and research, that if you coordinate high school with the biological clock of teens, they're actually going to perform academically better and think about killing themselves less. My point, people say, why did I do it? I said, because test scores go up and death goes down. But yet there was enormous opposition uh, from a three-decade science-based education change. So it takes a lot to turn the ship, but conferences like this highlight the needs and you know, I think we all have to continue to, to be more creative. I mean our education model was created when we were a farming in a manufacturing economy and we're no longer a farming in a manufacturing economy. And so we have to change the education model, which is why I've been talking to other countries and other states to try to figure out, you know, what we can do in California. One of the other things is I think we have to look three decades down the road at what the job market is actually going to be and then work backwards uh, and tailor curriculum to meet those needs. As you know, there's three coding jobs waiting for every coder out there right now. You know, we didn't prepare for that. So if you're, if you're a smart kid out there and you want to learn code writing, you really should because there's three jobs waiting for you nationwide because we're going more and more digital. And even AI requires somebody to write the code. You know, that's a skill that's very marketable and very needed. We got caught flat-footed with that. We're not preparing code writers. In particular, 98% of code writers are men. And so there's a lot of smart women out there that haven't been recruited or encouraged to pursue code writing. And, you know, that's another thing that we have to do.
2: It's not about the will, right? A lot of... These three, the the trifecta, industry, academia, and policy, it's really not about the will, but it's about our systems not talking to each other, the barriers. You talked about China being out there, and they're changing their models so quickly, right? So for us, the challenge that really resonated today was about agility and flexibility and taking into account what you had just mentioned what would be the next best step or a next movement for us as a system to help remove some of those barriers so that we can be flexible and agile? So I think there's, there's a lot of bureaucratic layers. So how do we simplify?
3: Well, one program, it's called P-TECH, that was developed by IBM, which is bringing that business expertise directly into the classroom and creating a partnership a formal partnership between the high schools and the community colleges to get kids with the skills they need through the system. So I think more direct involvement. Now, that in and of itself, the moment you inject direct involvement, you make other people nervous. And so I think part of it is the actual implementation, but I think rhetorically we have to do a better job of saying enough of this BS, saying kids come first when nobody puts kids first. You know, we have to call people out for not putting kids first. And then we actually have to start enacting these policies that put a premium on what's in the best interest of kids. Because if we actually give young people the skills and the tools they need, it helps business, it helps the economy, and it helps get rid of poverty. And there's a big push between the safety net and education. You know, when we had the budget crisis in California, 60% of the cuts came from education. And that's a short-sighted approach. You know, the the old adage, if you teach somebody to fish, they fish for a lifetime. It's still, it's the same truth here. There was a huge conference in Sacramento on poverty recently, and I was very frustrated because the conclusion of the conference was the sole reason for poverty is the lack of high-paying jobs. That's a really simplistic view of life. The reason why you don't have a high-paying job is because you haven't learned a skill And I'm not talking about a four-year skill, any skill. You work in a mechanic shop right now, you're making a good living. But somebody has to teach you computer diagnostics because that car that pulls in is no longer the car that you just take a lug wrench and take a spark plug out. I mean, it's plugged into a computer system. And so we forget sometimes the role that education plays. And frankly, it doesn't always rise to the level of priorities that people talk about. And I think we have to call people out when they don't prioritize education in our children's best interests. You know, they're actually running counter to what's in the best interests of society when we don't do that.
2: Would you also say that that would be something that we would call our business owners, our employers out on incentivizing them or getting them motivated on engaging more closely with community colleges so we can serve this talent gap, so that we can be ahead of the curve around robotics and AI and really this fourth-leap of, of a technology surge that we're feeling. How would we engage our business community a little bit more and incentivize them?
3: Well, I think that's a, that is a great point because if you have a top robotics program right now, you've got people who engage. But if you're not in that top robotics program in a high school somewhere, you're not getting that engagement that you should be getting across the board. And so we really do need to get more, not just businesses, but the nonprofit. Job training centers, legal aid, I mean, all of those organizations need to be more engaged with our community colleges, but, but the high schools in those areas and all of those relationships need to be expanded because internships lead to jobs. I mean, you know, my daughter's internship led to her full-time job, right. Right. That and she got the internship on her own, but that association that she engendered during that internship led to her employment. And so if we can encourage more businesses and more nonprofits and more of the workforce and users to create pipelines, going back to that model from Korea where the students have a formal relationship with the local business needs Mm -hmm. that matches their classroom work, then they transition out of those high schools into those jobs. So I think that's very important. But we have to be creative with the model. The model has to change. That's right. The model just, certainly has to change. The model just has to change. Yeah. And that's going to take a lot of hard work on all of us. Just giving community colleges the ability to give bachelor's degrees mm-hmm. had faced enormous opposition. That's right. that's just right. that change that the community colleges wanted to do.
2: Right. And it's not new to us, right? I mean, we, we, saw, we saw this in mechanization. We saw this in electrification. We saw this coming through in c- computerization. So now we're in this new stage and changing the model is nothing new but it takes time and in the past it really took 50 to 100 years for our systems to change to accommodate technology we're at a point now that it needs to take about 15 years or less or we will literally be extinct any final statements that you want to share with us and and your thoughts around future work
3: I have an 18-year-old high school student, and I have a 28-year-old who I keep saying, when, you know, how, how's your job prospects going? I mean, the dad in me wants every kid to have an opportunity to reach their full potential and, yeah. and excel. You know, we as a society have to embrace that, and I'm happy to be here to try to help.
2: Thank you for listening to the Future of Work podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. We'd love to hear from you too. Leave us your thoughts and review and remember to rate us. Thanks for listening.